Welcome to Calling Cards Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Lydia, and this is a podcast about the Bridgerton series of Regency romances by Julia Quinn. Today we are wrapping up The Viscount Who Loved Me with part two, and uh, there's a lot more good stuff in here. Lots more. Lots so much. And lots, and lots more. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. about there's so many sweet moments in this book that i kind of wanted to like look at some of them now that we've talked about all the nasty moments in this book let's talk about the sweets exactly because i think they're both there right um so let's kind of fast forward to the country house party which is a staple a function of regency romance novels and plots uh let's see we've got uh violet meddling yet again which is really funny she's uh when they arrive at the country house party um Violet kind of wants to find out if Anthony's in love with Edwina or Kate. She gets that he is in love with one of the sisters, but she's not sure who. And it's to, just to her credit that she doesn't just assume that she is equally willing for whichever sister as long as he is happy. Yes. I do think... Okay, I'm looking for when Kate meets Violet. So, she gets... They get out of the carriage and everything, and... So, so this is a sweet moment that I do like, actually, about Anthony, is when he's watching them pull up in the carriage, and he sees Kate jump down without any help, and he really... He, like, it's this kind of, like, oh, I like that moment. Like, and, like, he could instantly recognize her from a distance because of how she moves. Exactly. And he can see even from a distance, uh, he's watching from, like, a window or a tree or something. Obviously, yes. it's a window. I don't know why I said tree, because I want to think of him in a tree. Anyway, and he's watching, and he can see the, like, great rapport between Kate and Mary and Edwina and, like, Kate making them laugh, like, Mary in despite of herself. Mm-hmm. And he just gets this accurate read based on body language of their relationship. And it's like, yeah, she is awesome, Anthony. You can notice that. Yes. Um, um, so I want to I wanna turn to our friend Lady Whistledown to kind of give us the lowdown on what, basically why the Country House Party is such a staple in Regency novels. Um, yeah, so go at the for beginning it. of chapter 10, and this is 2nd May, 1814, she says, The country house party is a very dangerous event. Married persons often find themselves enjoying the company of one another, of one other than one's spouse, <sighs> and unmarried persons often return to town at rather as rather hastily engaged persons. Indeed, the most surprising betrothals are announced on the heels of these spells of rustication. So right there we have... Uh, exposition out of the way for what, why this is a thing, and also mm-hmm. some big ass foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. So this, <laughs> this is a great example of the country house party because you you get the opportunity for some um, mm-hmm. sort of mixing of genders and in, in, that you don't get in London. Yes, it, Crazy yeah, it's it's happen. a lot more low key than if they were in London. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of want to pick up. We've just had the Pall Mall game. And yes. we've got basically Kate and Anthony furious at each other oh, the whole time and feuding. Yeah, I know where you're heading with this. And I love it so much. I'm leading into one of the sweetest moments in the book slash the series. Do you want to 
take that up when I he comes think, in. I really hope we were. Thinking I know. About it, the I know. Same this moment. time we are. This time we are. All right, go okay, for it. Okay, good. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. So uh, one of the sweetest moments I think that Anthony has, and it's not even really with Kate. Mm-hmm. It is with Penelope. I love Penelope so much. Okay. Anywho. <sighs> Kate and Penelope meet in the hallway and they decide they're going to go down together and um, they get down to the main lobby area. I don't really know what you want to call that. Foyer, whatever. They're in there and they're waiting and Cressida Cowper, that little bitch. She's a girl. (laughs) We will talk about her more at a different time. Yeah. I will have a lot more to say about her then, but she is very unkind. This bitch, she and one of her little minions comes over and basically fat shames Penelope. With like a stunning lack of, sa- of of subtlety and a stunning amount of savagery. Yeah, like Kate is like, like Kate actually can't reply because she's so shocked that this actually just happened. So vicious. Standing there in public, just like belittling Penelope in like just the most intense way. Yeah, and it's it's super sick. It's super disgusting. And you can tell Penelope, like Kate can tell Penelope just kind of wants to curl up and die. Yeah. She's and, she's or she's very hurt by this. Yeah. And Kate's kind of trying to stick up for her, but it's not, you know, going too well. And yeah, then no. And then uh, I love it so much. Uh, um and then um Anthony comes in. And as the male, the male head of the household, his job is to escort the highest ranking lady mm-hmm. into the dining room. Yeah. And um, as he's walking over to them, Cressida turns off her little bitch side and immediately perks up. I liken yeah. Cressida to Regina George a little bit. Oh, yeah. She's a mean so, girl. She's the original she's a, mean girl. She's a, she is, like, Cressida is what Regina George would have been at this time. Yep. So, had to throw a little bit of, you know, other other reference in there. But, yeah. And she she immediately flips a switch. She starts batting her eyelashes and just becoming giggly and, like, super. Mm-hmm. And Anthony knows right away that Cressida's a bitch. I mean, like, it's not unknown in this household that Cressida is a bitch. Um, he definitely overheard her. He's he's overheard her, but I, at this point, I do think that Penelope is friends with Eloise. Yeah, he so, so Penelope's I'm, best friends with Anthony's sister. She's a she's a regular of the. Uh, yeah, she's regularly so around the house. It's not unknown that Cressida has bullied Penelope in the past, and so, um. He comes over and he says, Miss Fatherington, can I escort you into dinner? And Cressida's like, oh, but you can't. And he's like, um, Don't I'm sorry. Don't think it's cut direct. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm finding okay. the... Okay, here it is. Um, Kate moved to the side to allow the Viscount into their smaller circle. No one was discussed that Cressida's entire demeanor changed. Her eyelids began to flutter and her mouth began... Her mouth made a pretty little Cupid's bow. It was so appalling, Kate forgot to be self-conscious around the Viscount. Bridget and shot Cressida a hard look, but did not say anything. Instead, he turned deliberately to Kate and Penelope and murmured their names in greeting. Kate nearly gasped with glee. He'd given Cressida Copper the direct cut. Miss Sheffield, he said smoothly, I hope you'll excuse me as I escort Miss Featherington into dinner. But you can't escort her in, Cressida blurted out. Bridgerton gave her an icy stare. I'm sorry, he said in a voice that he was anything but. Had I included you in the conversation? 
Cressida shrank back, obviously mortified by her outburst. Still, it was beyond irregular for him to escort Penelope. As the man of the house, it was his duty to escort the highest-ranking woman. Kate wasn't sure who that happened to be this evening, but it certainly wasn't Penelope, whose father had been a mere mister. Bridgerton offered his offered Penelope his arm, turning his back on Cressida in the process. I do hate a bully, don't you? He murmured. Kate clapped her hand over her mouth, but she couldn't stifle her giggle. Patricia offered her a small, secret smile over Penelope's head, and in that moment, Kate had the oddest feeling that he un- she understood this man completely. But even stranger, suddenly she wasn't so certain that he was the solace re- reprehensible rake she had taken so much comfort in believing. Did you see that? Kate, who along with the rest of the assembled company had been staring open mouthed as Bridgerton led Penelope from the room, his head bent to hers as if she were the most fascinating woman ever to walk the earth, turned to Edwina turned to see Edwina standing next to her. I saw the whole thing, Kate said in a dazed voice. I heard the whole thing. What happened? He was he was Kate stumbled over her words, unsure how to describe what she what exactly he'd done. And then she said something she never thought possible. He was a hero. <laughs> I, I I truly love that scene. Yeah. And the thing, and so we haven't gotten, I think this is the first time we, we actually do talk to Penelope. I don't think Penelope is in the Duke and I, like hardly at all. Like it's mentioned that the Featherington sisters aren't very smart. I think I I think he uh Simon talks to Penelope and her mom and sisters because he does the thing where like she's like kind of the like here's my daughters and my other daughter and he's like oh how's your other daughter kind of that I think so yeah and Simon I think Simon does at one point says he's like he'll he'll dance with Penelope Featherington because mm-hmm. she looked like she was bloody miserable and he wanted yeah. to kind of like make her feel a little bit better yeah but she but, but this like, is really our first chance where we're interacting with her. Yeah, and so we learn more about Penelope in that she's clearly not the favorite child. Mm -hmm. Um, She's bullied. She's bullied. And it's just, it's very sweet that Anthony steps in and is, it rescues her. And it's in front of everybody. They are not the only ones down there at that point. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of people that are down there waiting to go in for dinner. And Anthony has, has definitely gone outside the protocol and Mm -hmm. has escorted her in for dinner, so... Look, this is like classic using your privilege to help other people. Yes. You know, and it's, it's you know, you, you we should all be standing up for other people. And it's wonderful to see him do it. And we know in later books that this moment is a, makes a huge impact on Penelope. And yes. we also know that this, we, we don't find out in this book, but later on we, we realize that this is sort of the moment when Kate starts to fall in love with him. And yes. it's the moment when he, he does something good for someone else because he can and because he should. And so that's when we start to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt as well, I think. He does something that directly contradicts everything that he has told her to this point. Yeah. And it shows us that, like, at heart, he's a, a decent man because he's not trying to impress Kate at this yes. point. He And he doesn't, like, say something nice and then walk away. He, like, he commits and then he, he walks away from Kate. And he, yeah, he's not trying to earn any brownie points. He just does a good thing. And it's small, but it is also big. Uh, yes. So that's really lovely. Yes. So let's... That's not the fast forward sound, but let's pretend it was. Fast forward to the B scene. What? Yes. First of all, brilliantly done, JQ. Yes. The the dialogue in this book, mm-hmm. while it is not my favorite book that she has written in this series, the dialogue in this book is so well done. 
especially when there are multiple characters in one scene. Yeah. It is so well done. That's a good point. And this is one of the scenes. Oh my god, we get to talk with Mrs. Featherington. I yeah. love it. This is this is one of my favorite books. And uh, so at the beginning of this scene, I think this is really important because this time Anthony deliberately seeks out Kate. This is the morning after uh, Kate has had her panic attack kind of under the desk mm-hmm. in the library or whatever uh, during the thunderstorm. And Anthony comforts her and they both kind of get vulnerable and they both sort of clear the air and become friends and, and are there for each other. Or mainly, you know, he, he's there for her. And he sees her going out on a walk to the garden and he, mm-hmm. he he goes after her. Because earlier in the garden party or in the house party, we've seen that they end up accidentally kind of in the garden at the same time because Violet Bridgerton has sort of engineered it. But this time he's he's he wants to see her. So he actually is like enjoys her company enough that he he can't help but go see her. And the first yeah. thing on Kate's mind, she's kind of sad when he finds her. And it's because she feels honor bound to tell him that she never no longer objects to his suit of Edwina. And she's like, look, I have to be honest because I I she identifies him as uh, worthy of her regard. Um, before they have to marry, right? So this is good for us as readers to know that she actually is like seeing the good in him. She's summing up his qualities. She's saying he's sensitive, caring, and principled, heroic, devoted to family. He's used his social position and power not to lord over others, but simply to spare another person insult. Um, Deep in her heart, she wanted him for herself. So she can't object to him, you know, courting Edwina anymore because she realizes he's a good man. But by letting that go, she's like, it's breaking her heart because she's falling for him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, and I love, so meanwhile, what's going on in Anthony's head is death wasn't frightening to a man alone. Love was truly a spectacular, sacred thing, but love was the enemy of the dying man. Oh! <laughs> so um, he wouldn't in a million years have allowed himself to choose her as a wife. She was far, far too dangerous for his peace of mind. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, 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 we have it all set up for us. And then crucially, they're now forced to marry because of Anthony's fear and his phobia and his baggage that he's bringing with. And wh- why is that? Why do they have to marry Lydia? <laughs> it makes me so happy, Tay. I know, you oh love this God. scene. Oh my God, I love this scene. Mostly because Mrs. Featherington comes out and says bubbies, and it fucking cracks me up. Yeah. Anywho, I digress. It's because Kate is stung by a bee. A bee, so they're having this conversation, and you know... He realizes that he doesn't love Edwina, and he is, he maybe has feelings for Kate, but he's, like, actively denying that he has feelings for Kate. And, um, he literally, in the moment of kind of about to say something kind of deep to Kate, he goes, Kate, I, and then she'd never know what he meant to say. In truth, he wasn't even sure what he intended to say. He hadn't even realized what he was going to speak until his name passed over his lips. But his words would remain forever unspoken because at that moment, he heard it. A low buzz. A whine, really. It was the sort of sound most people found mildly annoying. Nothing to Anthony could have been more terrifying. Don't move, he whispered, his voice harsh with fear. Kate's eyes narrowed and, of course, she moved, trying to twist about. What are you talking about? What is wrong? Just don't move. Her eyes slid to the left and her chin followed a quarter of the inch or so. Oh, it's just a bee. Her face broke out into a relieved grin, and she lifted her hand to swat it away. For goodness sake, Anthony, don't do that again. You had me scared for a moment. And then it just goes on from there. Anthony is terrified. Rightfully so. 
that this bee is going to kill one of them. Yeah, and I think to I me, think it seems like he's more worried for Kate. He's more worried for Kate. I sure because it's he, more that he's worried yeah. for Kate in this moment. And it's this like overriding fear that just takes over because in his head he's like, my dad died of a bee sting. Anyone can die of a bee sting. Bees are lethal. Kate's gonna die. And he just panics and he kind of grabs her and she sort of tries to pull away because she's like, it's a bee weirdo, and she doesn't understand. And he yeah. just freaks out. It, it really scares him. And yeah, the the bee stings her because they're sort of tussling. And it stings her kind of like right, right on the top of her boob, just before, just as like her, um, the top of her dress kind of meets, you know. And at this time, it's the dresses themselves are somewhat lower cut, a little yeah. bit. I mean, they're still modish, Ish. but they have a little bit deeper neckline. So it cut thing. But then Anthony, in his haste to, oh my God, she is going to die. He like squashes her boob flat he to try to press the poison out of it <laughs> to to get the stinger out or the poison as he thinks yeah. is in there. And then when he doesn't think that that is doing enough, he then proceeds to put, put his, mouth. his mouth on her breast and suck away the poison. Away the poison. And Kate is just like, "What are you doing? What is going on?" And then at some point, she kind of realizes that there's something she... more going on, and she's trying to reassure him, but she's also yeah. like, "Get off me!" <laughs> exactly. She she is. Again, it, it, this is a long scene. Like I forget yeah. like how long it is. So from basically, the time it goes the on and on and on. It goes, it goes on, 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 on. And then she looks up, and he's sort of got his mouth on her chest, and she looks up, and she sees the three people she doesn't want to see. It's just so great, though. It's so great. But in the end, she just froze, because when she lifted her head and looked over her shoulder, she saw a group of three women staring at them with equal expressions of shock. Mary, Lady Bridgerton, and Mrs. Featherington. Arguably the ton's biggest gossip. And Kate knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that her life would never be the same. There it is. And then she just kind of gets him, like, then she just kind of gets enough strength to kind of push him back and be like, stop. And as you so lovingly put in the notes, our shared notes, um, I'm going to say it, it leads to Mowage. <laughs> Mowage is what brings us together, together today. today. Oh, gosh. Anytime I can do a Princess Bride uh, reference, I will do a Princess Bride reference because it's such a great mm-hmm. movie. Anywho. Oh, yeah. So now they have to get married and there's no question about it. They are totally screwed. Um, what I like is that before this moment when they're forced to get married, so Kate has already kind of definitely softened on Anthony. She's starting to fall for him. So her feelings are already in. And right afterwards, Anthony is talking about how he like, Kate wasn't the sort to do anything by half measures. It was one of the things he liked best about her. Mm-hmm. And I just love that because, you know, it's him appreciating what's good about her in a person. And that's one of the cool things about her. Mm-hmm. And it- I do like after the bee is stung and everything, Anthony accepts his fate. Yeah. Like, he's like, he's, he's like, dick, I have not. Totally. He, is, but he, he kind of is like, I accept my fate. I, I cause this. I will, ex- I will live with the consequences. And Kate's like, again, you can start to see the, everything that has happened up until this point kind of start to come in her head. Well, but you want to marry Edwina. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And also, I'm like, yeah, that's good. And also, unlike Daphne, she doesn't, she hasn't wanted to get married. She's not mm-hmm. like a crusading anti-marriage person, but she, it's not, it's something that kind of intimidates her because it doesn't seem like something that she wants. And so this is like, okay, well, this is the new, the new normal. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so there's this great scene. It's like awful, but it's, it's, a, it's great to read. It's the, I can promise friendship and respect in kids, but not love. Okay. Talk. 
And Ugh. Anthony comes over after like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And he's basically like condescending AF. And he's just like, look, I could offer you friendship, respect, and children, intelligent and children, thank God, since you are quite the most intelligent woman of my acquaintance. And she's like, okay, that's almost a compliment. And then he like moves right along and says, provided that you do not bar me from your bed, I shall be faithful to both you and our vows. That's rather enlightened of you, she murmured. Uh, and both Kate and the reader is like, oh, Anthony wants cookies for like low bar decency, which is like actually in your marriage vows, genius. He's like, oh, I'm so proud of me for like offering to be loyal to you. It's like, no, you dick. That's how this works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's like the sinking moment that, like you said, like Kate brings with her to the wedding night and everything else in the marriage. Um, yeah. But there is this great moment when Kate tells him that his love for his mama is one of the things she likes best about him. Yeah. So she's like, cute. okay, he's a great guy. He's just like really not going to be great <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah. And he, uh, I have in my notes, he distracts her with sexy times because that is in his MO. Yeah. That's how he can deal with things. Um, yeah. In contrast to the first book, when Mary gives Kate the talk, it's much better. Um, she gives her kind of this men from Mars spiel, which I think is a reasonable thing to do in like a society that's completely like this entrenched patriarchy. But what mm-hmm. it means is that Kate gets it in her head that any desire Anthony has for her, the one thing that's like kind of giving her hope at that moment, it has nothing to do with her and who she she is. And it just has to do with like how men are. And yeah. so she goes into the marriage with just this, like, sense of, like, the one thing that we have between us is this, like, chemistry, but that's not even real. He had wanted to marry my sister and not me, who's much prettier than me, and he doesn't believe in love, or he doesn't want to love me. He sat me down and told me we can be friends, but he could never, ever, 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 ever love me. So that's what I'm going into for the rest of my life. Because yes. she's not thinking that he's going to die like he is. She's like, that's that's it. This is what we have to look forward to. Yeah. So that's a downer. <laughs> I I kind of I kind of wanted to talk about what we each of us thought was the like the most adorable scene in this book. And I, I will say that selfishly I basically just want to talk about this because I want to talk about one scene in particular, but I want to hear what your thoughts are for that scene. Or for not for that scene, but for like the most adorable scene or like yeah, whatever superlative you want to choose. What scene are you talking okay. about? So the scene that for me was the most adorable is Kate and Edwina are having tea after Kate and Anthony have been married for like a week or a couple weeks. Uh, Anthony joins and he's like clearly smitten. He's been like trying to, to like come up with excuses to stay away from the house because he just is like obsessed with Kate. Edwina leaves. Anthony like is plotting this whole time. He, like Kate's chatting over tea on the other side of the room and he's plotting to like scoop her towards him. And so like she's talking to him and he's like looking at the teapot. He's looking at the carpet. He's calculating how much the mess would be, like how much it would cost and like decides he doesn't care how much it would cost. And then he like decides to drink all of the tea in the teapot to minimize the damage so that he can like sweep her across the table which is so funny and then midway through he's like you know i want to give a dowry for edwina which makes him feel kind of awkward because like that's what he'd been planning to do for kate when she mm-hmm. was the sister he wasn't going to marry but he's also like it's a nice thing to do and i want her to be able to have a, a stable foundation and be able to choose a, the husband she wants and like kate loses her shit she's like that is the nicest thing you've ever done for me that's the nicest thing anyone has ever said she like jumps across the table and into his arms her skirt knocks over the tea set she calls him the nicest man in london he's like uh i think you mean most dangerous or like most handsome and she's like no you are the nicest freaking man and he loves it and they cuddle and it's just so cute and he's she's like oh good thing that the cart that like we drink all the tea he's like uh-huh <laughs> yeah so anyway like him plotting to like sweep her across the room 
and like drinking all the tea is just the cute I don't know just the cutest so I love that scene it's my favorite (laughs) I I agree that's a very cute scene I do like that scene um for the most adorable okay so like it's super like not an adorable moment but it is an adorable moment for me so when she has this accident and this um, dramatic ass carriage accident this dramatic accident she's stuck under the door and anthony is um there and she's like like she's in pain and everything and she's like anthony like he's kind of like burying her soul because he thinks that she's dead and she's like what the bloody hell are you talking about and he's like oh thank god kate and she's like no seriously what were you talking about and then she, he's like, you know, never mind, it's okay. But then, like, she, like, doesn't forget about that. Yeah. And at the end, when she's, after she's been looked at by doctors and um, Anthony is big and overbearing and one of the doctors says, where did you go to medical school, like, school again? Which is great. Which he calls us, like, like, four doctors. Right? It's super ridiculous, but, like, super sweet because we know he loves her, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then she sits him down again and says, okay tell me what you want to say. And he tells her, I love you. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, it took you long enough. <laughs> and then she goes, and then can you imagine if you had, had waited any other time for me today? And he's like, don't even joke about the fact that we were just in this accident. Like, it's just this very sweet scene yeah. where they come to terms with each other, that they do love each other. And that it's just, it's very sweet. I love that scene so much. Um, Like, frantic Anthony is adorable to me. Like, his, like, (gasps) and then as he's, like, having to deal with Edwina and the other Mm -hmm. people that show up and Lady Danbury's there. And it's just, it's just, hell has broken loose. But, like, his whole goal, his whole focus is on Kate in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I love that. That is the most adorable scene for me. Because you do see that's the first time you really, really see... Anthony, like, Anthony starts to realize, like, holy shit, I fucked up. Like, yeah. she's dead, and I fucked up, and... So that's that's adorable to me. Yeah. Because his, his panic is so... <gasps> I never told her I loved her, which mm-hmm. I find that very adorable. That's brilliant. Yeah, good call. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, do you want to talk about the unsung heroes? You gave us a taste of it. Who besides yes. Colin is an so unsung Colin hero? Colin is my number one. Colin, like, straight off the bat sees that, like... Kate and Anthony are probably well matched for each other. Okay, that's your interpretation. He... My interpretation you, is he's like. Finish? Sorry. Will you let me finish? I don't necessarily think he like thinks that they are good to like like get together. I don't think that. I think right off the bat he's like, "This is gonna fuck fuck with Anthony," and so I'm very much gonna put these two in the same situation with each other. That's what I mean by that. However. When you get to the end of the book, and after Anthony has been drinking and thing, it's Colin that's the one who says, we know you love her. Like, we all know that you love her, so go tell her. So Colin, and then Benedict says the same thing. So my my three unsung heroes of this book. Number one, Colin Bridgerton. Because I think he ultimately helps Anthony see that, yes, he does love Kate. And that thing. Benedict Bridgerton as well, because it's that conversation between the three of them that makes Anthony really be like, I love my wife. I gotta go tell my wife I love her. And the boys are like, yes, you do. Get out of here. So those two. Third, Newton. Newton McCorgie. 
Okay. Little so, fluffy butt Newton. Yeah. Wow. So but I yes. would say, yeah, Colin, because he's Colin is clearly like the most important side character in this book. He introduces yes. them. Uh, I would say that Mary is a really important character in this book, both with her relationship with Kate and also just sort of like, yeah, moving the plot along and everything. And then, I don't know, maybe Edwina, but she's not that much of a personality. I think Benedict in this book was completely superfluous, wasn't needed in any of the scenes because all the scenes he's in, he's in with Colin and Colin is much more interesting to read. I am saying this. Benedict is one of my favorite characters. I love Benedict. I'm so excited for his book. I am always happy to read about him. I just don't think that he was at all important in this book or relevant and that if he didn't have a book coming up next, he wouldn't even be in it. That's my personal take. He wasn't even he didn't even like show up at the house party or the game. He didn't do anything that Colin didn't do. So uh, shall we then just start talking about Newton the Corgi? Newton the Corgi is the greatest thing ever. He's a cutie pie. Um, there's, you know, kind of the cute intro to Newton where it's like you hear this barking and like a screaming. And it's like, oh, my gosh, there's a wolfhound outside. And then you look and it's like wolf fluffball. So I think the biggest thing with Newton is their um, their walk to their disastrous walk to the serpentine. And um, one thing that I really sort of loved is so um, when Kate and Anthony leave uh, the Sheffield's house and walk to the Serpentine. Um, Julia Quinn like very carefully describes all the streets that they're on and, and where they're walking. So I actually was able to pull it up on Google Maps and trace where they walked. And she did such a nice job of setting this in posh 1814 London, where everything she said makes sense. It all connects. Um, and beyond that, it really makes sense that the Sheffields would be living in Knightsbridge instead of like right in Mayfair by the Bridgertons because they like don't have as much money or social standing and they also don't have like an ancestral home they're renting I believe yeah they're renting so yeah so it really makes sense where she picked to have them which I thought was cool and then also they walk right past where Harrods is now and that wouldn't have been built for a couple decades after uh, they walked there. So anyway, she did. She definitely did her research, and and it pays off. Yeah. Um, I also really love. <laughs> I the thing that I love about Newton the most is that mm-hmm. Newton loves Mary. Yeah, but Mary doesn't love Newton. Mary does not love Newton. I also love that Newton like instantly takes a liking to Anthony. Yeah, Anthony likes that too. <laughs> yeah, it sort of confirms to him just how great he is. <laughs> Well, then I love how he was thinking that, like, yeah, it's this big wolfhound, and actually, it's a corgi. Yep. Yeah, so um, Anthony comes in to visit Kate, or to visit Edwina, of course, because he still decided he wants to marry this beautiful woman (laughs) that he, like, doesn't really care about that much. Uh, And it's funny because he sort of comes up behind Kate, and she's standing in the, like, the lobby or whatever. Houses don't have lobbies, but you know what I mean, like the entry hall. And um, she's like talking to the flowers. It's everything's full of flowers for Edwina. And she's like, "Ooh, I like you. I'm going to put you in my like bedroom. And because Edwina, it turns out, is like allergic to most of the flowers. So Kate gets to have them and she's sort of like, ha ha ha. Um, so, yeah, he comes up. There's banter. And then Mary sort of sends them on their way to go meet up with Edwina and Nigel Bearbrook. Um, so then as they're walking and they're, I think this is maybe, maybe the first time that Kate and Anthony are getting a chance to kind of have a rapport, like 
yes, they're completely fighting the whole time, but they're kind of getting to know each other a little bit too. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So then we hit get um, maybe our first bit of drama in this book. It's hard to keep straight. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Like, like a really good burst of drama is when Newton runs away from them. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's that's agreeable. He's caught playing in the serpentine, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, he like he runs up and he runs away from them, and they're chasing after him. And it's I when I was reading this, I thought how fun this will be to watch on screen because you know everything's very proper and they. You know, there's all these social rules and stuff. And you've got Kate just running after the dog. And Anthony's, like, also running after the dog. And she's thinking, gosh, he must really like my sister because he is just running through this park in the middle of basically, like, the social hour where everyone can see this dude running after my dog. And then partway through, Newton does, like, a 90-degree turn because he sees or smells uh, Edwina. And he runs straight forward her. And so she and Nigel have been stopped because Nigel's an idiot and he can't drive a carriage. And uh, doesn't understand horses. or Actually, no, that's not fair. He does like horses. Whatever. He's an idiot. And so they're standing next to the serpentine. And uh, Newton enthusiastically jumps on Edwina and pushes her in to the muck. Yes. Yes. So now the dog is wet. Edwina is wet. Anthony jumps in to save her. Now he is wet. And he's livid at Kate. Yeah. He is super pissed at the Kate. Not like a normal person like, oh, this dumb dog. No. He's like, you mastermind this because you're jealous of your sister and merp to merp to merp to, you know? Yeah, I think, I wonder if that's where Anthony gets his, everybody thinks Anthony's a jerk from. What do you mean? Everybody meaning you? No, there's a couple of people who I know who've read these books who think that Anthony's a jerk. I mean, I don't disagree with them. He is a jerk. Yeah, I would say that this scene is probably like the second most jerk that he is in this book mm-hmm. yeah it's not gr- it's not a great look but it's kind of great so uh he it's really interesting i i kind of wrote this down because it just really stuck with me so he accuses kate of like doing it on purpose or at least being glad that her sister got pushed into the water mm-hmm. and she's like what are you talking about like clearly it was an accident the dog like just suddenly ran like what are you talking about and it says um it was inconceivable to Anthony that Kate Sheffield, for all her wit and intelligence, could not be jealous of her sister. And surely she must be taking a bit of pleasure in the fact that she was dry and comfortable while Edwina looked like a drowned rat. An attractive rat, to be sure, but certainly a drowned one. So I, this was great because it's like, it's that kind of society thinks that women can only be pitted against each other, especially if one is attractive and one is plain, mm-hmm. especially with sisters. It's just assumed that they'll be tearing each other down instead of building each other up. But with Kate and Edwina, there's this genuine, yeah, I know my sister's hotter than me. Yeah. <laughs> and like, but she's also like the sweetest, nicest person and I'm not. And also I care about her more than I care about petty rivalries. And um, he can't, he just can't fathom that the way he feels towards his siblings could be similar with two women. Yes. Which is maybe a bit harsh of me, but um, I think that, yeah, I think he he pretty much clearly expresses that. Mm -hmm. So that's, he's just angry for a long time, which is kind of funny. Oh, because I think Kate makes Newton shake in front of him, gets him all wet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. I I was going back through uh, my notes here and- yeah. Like we're, I'm totally taking a 180 turn with this. Um, I totally, I totally found my, like, out of context line. All right, bring it. 
No trouble at all. A shy, aging spinster? She probably has never received attentions from a man such as you. (laughs) She'll never know what hit her. It's really good to... Yeah, to like go back to that scene, which we've talked about, but we haven't really talked through, which is like really, really early on in the book. Kate has already, we yeah, we actually kind of missed a lot. So Kate is predisposed to dislike Anthony because she is devoted to the gossip rag Whistledown and everything Lady Whistledown writes. Kate is like, yeah, I'm totally with this lady. She's smart. She's sassy. I believe her. I believe her take on things and that I'm going to make up my mind and my judgment before I see the actual person, which is, of course, a bad thing to do. Yes. Um, and so she's decided that Anthony is, like, the worst. Um, and then she's at the ball, and Anthony's dancing with her sister, and she is just steaming, and Mary's kind of teasing her. Colin Bridgerton comes up, and he's like, well, hey there. And she's like, hi, great, you're a rake, too. And he's like, what? And she, like, goes on this rant about his brother. And it's like, oh, my gosh, your brother's the worst. He's such a slut. And Colin's like, yes tell me more and uh basically just like <laughs> listens to her rant about anthony and then uh and then comes up to anthony is like hey edwina's aging spinster sisters like the shy she talks about you so much and uh you got to make a good impression on her to woo her sister so you should go up and dance with her and like make her night anthony's like oh my gosh it's such a good idea because like i am great and uh he comes up to her he's like you should and then, yeah, so Colin introduces them. And then partway through, Anthony's like, oh, she doesn't like me. And Colin knew that. So legit, my, like, note for this in my ebook is yeah. just, like, laughing faces. There's about 25 laughing faces. Because <laughs> I was dying reading this. Yeah. It's really funny. Like, I... I don't I, I really hesitate to quote anything from it because I feel like if I do I'll re- be reading the entire chapter. I mean, it is very funny. Um first just her interacting with Colin and getting to know him, but then Colin setting them up is great. Right. Oh, so there's Okay, so I'm going to read one more line from this area. Please do. And it says he goes, so after that first line that I read Mm-hmm. Anthony goes, I don't want her to fall in love with me, Anthony retorted. I just want her to recommend me to her sister. You can't fail, Colin said. You simply can't fail. Trust me, I spent a few moments in conversation with her earlier this evening, and she could not say enough about you. <laughs> Which is true, because she ranted about him. It's, it is true. There, there is no lie in that. And that's what I love about Colin. I just, like, I truly had forgotten that this scene was in this book. Like, I had completely forgotten that this was a thing. It's, it's great. Well, it's great. So then Colin turns to Anthony and is like, well, what a coincidence. There she is. And like, barrels through the crowd, like tracing her down. And then is like, oh, hey, fancy seeing you here. Uh, Meanwhile, Anthony's like, oh, she's not like as ugly as everyone talks about. In fact, she's not ugly. She's just not blonde basically basically <laughs> and uh and she's like very confused she is very confused and then uh and then the, it gets to just a point where anthony realizes exactly you know what's going on that colin has set him up but really uh, until a couple days later when they're on the walk and anthony mentions it kate doesn't realize because why would she so they have this dance together where she is just like stepping on his feet sometimes on accident sometimes on purpose she is like telling him like you stay away from my sister and he is just like, well, okay, you know what's fun? Arguing with this weirdo. One of one of the greatest introductions to two characters. I agree. I agree. So great. It's golden. Oh, man. 
Yeah. Which so, I um, guess comes back around to Colin being an unsung hero of this book. Yeah, I don't know, like unsung hero, but like definitely like the like the greatest side character. True. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like he's pretty sung in this book. Like, yeah, he's like one of the greatest characters in the book because <laughs> he was he was supportive in the last book, but he's just funny and mischievous in this one. He is. So okay, so he, this is the reason why I love Benedict in this book. Okay. When Anthony is hungover, and they're at home. Or they're at the wife. What you're talking about is all the way at the end of the book. Yes, I'm talking. Yes, I am talking feelings. about all the way at the end of the book. Yes, they're at White's, and Colin, they're they're eating nuts in like the most annoying way you can eat nuts. And my favorite one is where Benedict's like, "I need to crack this," and lifts a book up <laughs> to slam it on the table. And Anthony's like, "If you do that, I will kill you." <laughs> yeah that's why i love benedict so much in this book so yeah so the side characters are great uh just to flash back to the like serpentine incident for a minute i so it is anthony being a jerk but um not the entire scene uh i wrote down this really great bit of dialogue because i think it really that kind of goes back to like the best of the spirit of like 10 things i hate about you which is he says sarcasm doesn't become you miss sheffield and she responds Nothing becomes you, Lord Bridgerton. Oh my god, yes! That is such a throwback to 10 Things I Hate About You. It makes me picture Benedict and Beatrice for Much much Ado. Yes, I definitely agree with that. It's very much in the spirit of that, but you know, also Kat and um, whatever Heath Ledger's name is. (laughs) Patrick Verona, whatever. Oh, Uh, Patrick (laughs) Verona. I was like... I usually just some like cat and Heath Ledger. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, cat and Patrick. Mm, that cast. That cast. Guys, also, it's a really fun connection since we're talking about it that Alice and Janney plays the like ridiculous counselor who's always writing bad romance novels I instead know. of being a guidance counselor. <laughs> Miss Perky. So good. <laughs> I just love the. How do you. What is it? Can what's you another look up, word? What's another word for engorge? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, so funny. Oh, it's so great. Anyway. So yeah, so as you can see, there's there's definitely like a Shakespearean element to this. I think at yes. some point, I think it's on the walk over to the park. Um, Anthony turns to her and says, you know, the other night with Colin, he played us both for fools, which I, I thought was kind of like a little bit of like a Shakespearean language and... Um, and they mentioned that Anthony's father could quote from Much Ado About Nothing uh, just because he loved how it sounded. So, yeah. So I think she's sort of trying some things here with this book and um, unsurprisingly succeeding in, in what she's doing. Definitely. She meaning, sorry, meaning Julia Quinn, not Kate. Yes. Kate does not succeed until she does. Yes. All right. So should we talk about the main theme of this book? No, I don't think we need to talk about themes. I think we could... Sorry, just kidding. I think that is a great <laughs> idea. And since we've been all over the place and I don't know what the heck this organization of ours is, yes, theme would be so great. You want to jump you, in? You know, maybe our thing is that we're not organized, Hey, Maybe our thing is that we are like modern art. <laughs> we are modern <laughs> fucking art people. <laughs> you are welcome. We are a long piece of hair rope on the bottom of a museum floor. And you all need to appreciate us. Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. So, yeah. The biggest theme, I think, in this book is trauma and healing from trauma. Agreed. 
And we see trauma in two very distinct ways. We see how Kate's trauma manifests, which is a fear of storms, like like a horrific fear of storms. Not like... It's like a panic attack inducing fear of electrical and thunderstorms. Yep. And then we have Anthony's who he thinks he, he like he just is very much thinks that he's going to die by the time he's 38. And they're both all both traumas are induced by the death of a parent. Yes. As becomes clear throughout the book. Yes. And actually Anthony they really talk about it very well in like the latter half of the book but Anthony sort of sees his his issue as this sense of his own mortality mm-hmm. that's ever present constantly with him every moment of every day whereas Kate's comes in it's specific to storms it's this really awful reaction that's very concentrated but it only happens with storms so as as the book goes on we i mean we kind of see that Kate's fear is actually like a, a metaphor for Anthony's because mm-hmm. She knows it's irrational, but while the storm is there, she can't think rationally. She can only deal with with her own sort of fear and anxiety. And when it's over, there's a sense of relief and understanding that, you know, it is okay. But for Anthony, that spike never comes. He never goes up and down. He's always carrying that with him. And when Kate is able to overcome her fear, it's like you could very much like the storm clears, it goes away, the sky is blue, everything is fresh, and she has figured out how to move on. And Anthony sees all this, this like metaphor and the actuality of it and just like, why can't I wake up to a sunny day? Why can't I let go of it? Yes, I agree. So, and it is nice to have like one where it is more in his head and then hers, I guess they're, I mean, they're both, they're both in their head. But hers is a little more tangible, I think. Yeah, I like if you say I'm I I get panic attacks at storms, that's like one thing. And if you say like I have this vague gut feeling that I'm going to die before I reach the age of 38, and I know it doesn't sound sensible, but it is true. I believe it in my gut. That's much less tangible, I think, and harder to share. Maybe harder to talk about it. Yeah, which I'm... he certainly has not. Yeah. Oh, d- he has not talked about this with anybody. Um, I would agree with that. I think, I think that becomes like the, their conflict in the book is that she overcomes her fear because it is tangible where, and that's where he begins to realize that, oh my God, I have this fear in my life. And he's almost like embarrassed that he can't overcome his fear about his own mortality where Kate now has the answers and therefore the skills to overcome mm-hmm. her fears. And here's the thing where she's, and we don't ever see this. So this is just a, a theory on my end. I don't believe that like just hearing the story of how her mother died and the reason behind this fear of storms, I don't think it's cured like that. It kind of makes it seem like it is in this book. But I don't, I don't think it's this, like, like switch on, switch off. What do you think it is then? What are you talking about? I think it's something that still lingers. Like, it's not ever something that you will ever quite get over, but maybe they become more manageable. Like, does that make sense? It makes sense. I don't know that that's, that there's any evidence for that in the text. Oh, I, like, I, I don't know if they're, I don't know. That's just my way of thinking about that. Where Anthony's like, well, she solved her fears. And I don't, like... 
that's that's a big leap to make for me. Like that whole Yeah, but there's a difference between being afraid of something and like having having it trigger panic attacks that make living in like a storm unmanageable. Right? So like there's ways to get better. So so yeah, so what happens is Kate Kate like really has a very hard time with storms she sort of locks up and like goes out of herself and I, I do think it doesn't say panic attack in the text but I think that pretty much is is what it is um and, and it helps first of all that Anthony is there with her to share that with her and to just say like hey it's okay and I'm I'm here and it's okay that you're like this and it's okay that like it will get better um but then the other thing is even when she's not awake her body reacts to the storm she has these nightmares and um Anthony in bed with her seeing her um, react to the storm in a nightmare like is what made them decide to go see Mary and say like is there a reason why why she's so afraid of storms because this is not like this is not okay so I think but when Mary like talks about it and says this because of how your mother died I think I think partly it was just like the therapy of talking it out like talking out to two people who care about her and like hearing that there's a reason and like you know it's sort of like unsolved trauma I don't know I think I think that goes away towards Kate's description of her fear of storms does serve as a vehicle for how we should view Anthony's fears. I, this may be particular to me as a reader, but I felt as though in the book, the first half of the book, Anthony's fears seem kind of ridiculous. And the second half of the book, we see more into his head and they seem more understandable. What do you what do you think? No, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Not to like minimize anything, but like you're reading it, you're like, okay, dude, sure, you don't want to fall in love because you're going to die soon. Yeah, that seems like it makes sense. But but really, I mean, the writing is so good and the character development is so good, we're able to see into his perspective. Um, I So this was interesting because after Kate kind of is able to manage her fear, I think is better than just saying get, getting over it. But she learns to manage her fear and Anthony is like so happy for her, but he's mm-hmm. also jealous because he he suddenly realizes that like him she is aware of her own mortality unlike most people what he calls the basic awful truth that eluded the rest of society and he he realizes that they have more in common than he he'd ever thought and and he sees that she's fought her demons and won and that does make him a little bit jealous even though he's happy for her Mm -hmm. which i thought was like very human and very relatable yeah i agree with that i think that is i think that is something that this book does well for um this issue yeah there's this bit i saved because it says kate had won whereas he who had acknowledged his demons but refused to fear them was now petrified with terror terror and all because the one thing he swore would never happen had come to pass he had fallen in love with his wife he had fallen in love with his wife and now the thought of dying of leaving her of knowing that their moments together would form a short poem and not a long and lusty novel it was more than he could bear so this is like a really great way to bring like the emotion, the relationship into this um, personal grappling with with a fear of dying is because he he always felt this burden, but he doesn't feel the he doesn't let himself feel the fear of it until he actually lets himself fall in love with another person. Mm-hmm. And so kind of falling in love with Kate kickstarts this like he doesn't want to deal with it i think when he sees kate facing her demons he realizes that he could choose to face his and he doesn't want to which is also human yes i absolutely agree with that a hundred percent do we want to talk a bit about anthony's whole deal yeah so his thing is he wants to marry procreate and die because he he has a sense of his own mortality so he's looking for a wife he has three criteria for a wife 
Number one, be reasonably attractive. Number two, can't be stupid. And number three, can't be anyone he can fall in love with. So for the first half of the book, sort of the act one conflict is Anthony, or Kate wants to stop Anthony from marrying her sister. Anthony wants to marry her sister. That's kind of the main conflict. The Sort of the second half of the book's conflict is Kate is falling in love with Anthony. Anthony is falling in love with Kate. And Anthony does not want to be in love. Yeah. So yeah. like his 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 fear of like putting himself out there for love motivates the entire book. But sort of the first half, it's just sort of these funny antics of he's trying to find, uh, trying to chase the wrong person basically, and and Kate's trying to stop him. But then the second half is his sort of fear of fear of getting close to someone, is what's stopping that. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I really loved. I loved how he makes it so clear that he's not like Simon and Daphne where he doesn't know love, doesn't believe in love, doesn't want to love. He absolutely knows love is real because, as he says, anyone who's been in the same room as his parents knows true love exists. He's not like a complete cynic. He just thinks it's more reasonable for me as someone who's going to die young to never form that attachment where the loss of me would hurt them and the sense of losing them through dying would hurt me yeah so i thought that was a really cool yeah it's not something you read about every day it's like a backhanded sweet moment kind of like you can see where he thinks he is being good and mighty but in actuality like it's super unfair to whoever he marries (laughs) yeah oh it absolutely is it's like wait sorry you know your parents were in love you know that Daphne and Simon are in love you know love exists and you're purposely going to choose to marry a woman and deny her a chance at love you you nut yeah I what I one of the things I love in this book is how Julia Quinn uses Anthony's voice like his character's voice to make really dumb things sound reasonable like you can tell he's like reassuring himself that um that his thoughts are reasonable where there's this whole little like inner monologue where he is like, okay, I've been worried I could let myself fall in love with Kate. Uh, but you know what? The key is I won't let myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a man. I'm in control of my actions and my emotions. Uh, I believe in the power of will. There's no reason why love should be involuntary. Like, If I don't want to fall in love, I'm not going to. Simple as that. If it wasn't as simple as that, he wouldn't be much of a man, would he? <laughs> and I just love, like, all of that is bullshit. But yeah. you could see him convincing himself, like... Yeah, I can figure out how to not love. I can do that. Well, then he continuously tries after he married, like when he meets Kate and as they continue on, like he constantly is telling him to remind himself that he's not falling in love. Like it's like the, yes. the bullshit excuses continue to like get more bullshitty as the book goes on. Yeah, I love that. I have... um. Right around the right after that passage, I just like semi read slash butchered. Um, my two AM notes is just lol. Oh, baby bird, <laughs> because it's like, dude, you're gonna fall in love. You're already in love if you're having this conversation with yourself. You poor little baby bird. You're just lying to yourself. Pretty much, pretty much. I do also want to talk about the way that Kate views herself. Yeah, because I think it's important to discuss this. Yeah. Um, when they are making love for the first time and he tells her that she is beautiful, she, her gut instinct is to say, who are you um, imagining? Because she does not see herself as beautiful. And that is actually 
like, that is a gut punch for me every time I read this book. And it's a moment that continuously sticks out to me because we as women have a view of ourselves in our head that other people don't see. Does that make sense? Of course it does, yeah. And it's such a gut punch every time because it's literally every time I read it, I can I can relate to that on such a deep level of not seeing what somebody else sees. Yeah. And seeing your flaws in a way that nobody else does. Mm-hmm. And I think that also is, I think it also is a, is a kind of a trauma for Kate because she's constantly compared to Edwina, who is considered to be a great beauty. And as a result of that, Kate doesn't think of herself as anything special or any, she doesn't find herself to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I mean, It'll be interesting to see how they play that out in the TV series because I think it's really it's an important part of the Kate character. Yeah. Um, and maybe I hope it's something maybe they will dive into a little bit more in yeah. the TV series. Yeah, it's just it's it's a it's a visceral moment for me every time I read this book is when is. she starts to when she freezes and he's like what is going on and it's something that he doesn't understand yeah and this, so it frustrated me that he didn't understand because she she explicitly says just before this that she didn't have those insecurities before anthony mm-hmm. and i think i was thinking about it it's a very reasonable thing i think for a first relationship to suddenly have these feelings that she didn't before because she's always been second best to edwina not in her sister or her mother's eyes, but in how people treat them both. And it didn't let her bother her because she had people she cared about. But when it's someone that you're supposed to be closest to when it's a partner, that's different. That's not strangers treating you second best. You want to be first for them. You don't want to be second best. So it makes sense that this would bring out her insecurities um, yes. for the first time. But also, Anthony later is okay. But at this moment, he has never emotionally validated her. He has argued with her he has pursued her sister he has never shown her like this emotional safety or anything to to give her an indication that she might be beautiful to him and so in that moment he's like whoa what are you talking about you're the you're so beautiful i desire you and it's like dude take a moment and think about how your actions and words have made her feel um she doesn't feel like emotionally like comfortable with you right now because you haven't given her any reason to well, and that's the thing. Like, you see his inner monologue where he's like, she's actually quite gorgeous. And yeah. they, we, she, he never, yeah, he never verbalizes that to her. And his actions speak so much louder, I think, in the sense that he is a rake. Like, he fully admits that he has slept with several women. He, she sees him take the opera singer mm-hmm. and, you know, start something but then obviously because Kate's hiding under the desk it doesn't finish but so she knows she has seen the way that he acts around women and yes as a as a result of that and now in this intimate moment she is comparing herself to these other women who is he imagining like she asks him that who are you imagining yeah I think she she mainly thinks it's her sister because he's never sat down and said look I was pursuing your sister because I knew I wouldn't fall in love with her and that is what I was looking for. And then 
when I finally got to the point where I realized I could fall in love with you, I didn't, I was worried about that. He never has that conversation with her. And of course, it's a very hard, that would be a hard conversation. And so there's no reason for her to think that he doesn't think her sister is better than him at this point. And that's, I think that's where he doesn't realize his feeling because like whether or not she is beautiful is irrelevant. It's, they're in a relationship together. He should make it clear that she is important to him. Yes. And I do think as well that, um, yeah, she asks, do do you picture Edwina Mm -hmm. um, when you, when we are making love? And I mean, he he covers for himself quite quickly. Like he does, not covers, but he does kind of like he, once he starts to realize why she is like having this kind of visceral reaction to what he said, he kind of is like, hold up. Listen here, like, Edwina, like, I never burned for Edwina. I never lusted after anybody the way I lost after you. And, I mean, it's it's this, this kind of beautiful little monologue that he gives her. And, yeah, it's it's interesting because I don't, we don't ever get kind of a okay from Kate. It just mm-hmm. kind of goes into, I'm going to make you orgasm now. Yeah, but it, it does. No, so look, here. When she when she when she reacts to his comment, and like yeah like don't just offhandedly call people beautiful when you know you have an estate whatever when she reacts to his comment he immediately stops because he is appropriately in tune with his partner's responses and not a massive asshole and he listens to what she's worried about and he communicates with her and then I'm sure her body language is communicating that she's hearing what he's saying right yes. because he is actually listening which is just like low bar what he's supposed to do but like he does it he's you know it just because he's a flawed human doesn't mean that he's not caring about where she's at right there and so to his credit um i mean i think there's a good kind of recovery and then i think later after that they then begin to kind of repair her insecurities and work together on that yeah and he, he does a better job and better and better and better of of being more supportive yeah but yeah it is it is a huge as you say a huge gut punch when that happens and they have to have that conversation and i'm yeah, it's a, it's a really lovely bit of communication mm-hmm. between them. Yeah. Th- things that are easier to just bottle up and keep inside. It is. That are better said. Yes. And I, like I said, I am looking forward to see how they do that in the show. Obviously, this won't happen until season two. I have, there are rumors that it's already been picked up for season two. So fingers crossed that it does get picked up again. That that, that is true. Um, and it'll be interesting to see who they cast as Kate. Because as of right now, Kate has been... Is rema- has remained uncast. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Oh, you'll know the, the minute that it's, that announcement's made, you'll know. Okay. I know. <laughs> I count on you. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they cast that role and whether or not they leave it as a... Whether or not they make her a racially diverse character or not. Yeah, but like, th- look, at this point, they're very clear, I think, that they're open casting. Mm-hmm. which means whoever they cast will be the best person for the job yes, and not I, because absolutely. they're looking for white people. So like, no. I think no matter who they cast is going to be phenomenal because they're not going to care about anything silly. Like, is she, does she look super white? And like the Mr. Darcy Regency that we audiences expect, right? No. So like whether yeah. or not it is, I think it'll be a really good. No, I think it, going forward, it's going to be really interesting to see how mm-hmm. they continue to cast in this show. And I think the casting of Kate is going to be is going to be an interesting one to look at. That's all I'm saying. I suppose to kind of go talk more about what you're getting at, it'll be interesting to see what 
like a racially blind casting looks like on this show because Mm -hmm. like for Hamilton, it mostly was just played as as if it doesn't matter what race they are. Yes. But and for the most part, their race then didn't really add an extra dimension to 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 most of the character, although I think it made it many of the characters more forgivable (laughs) if you know enough about history. So it'd be interesting to see if this um kind of adds to if it if it adds to some of the conflict and some of the nuances of character and plot or if it's just completely played off as if as if race doesn't exist that's what i'm interested and i think i'm sure i i we know that the showrunners are very good and so i'm sure whatever they do will be really interesting but i am intrigued to see how how that plays out i think it will be interesting genuinely i've watched a lot of shonda rhimes tv a lot of shonda rhimes tv she doesn't they like Shonda Land and Shonda Rhimes. They, I mean, granted, um, Chris Van Duden is the showrunner, and he is a white man. Sh- but like, Shonda Land doesn't do things without like quote unquote purpose. There's a reason for things doing the things. Yeah, no, do. there's definitely a purpose. I just don't. I'm I'm wondering whether which which of the two it's going to be. If it's going to be, um, if it's going to add something explicitly that's ta- that's like talked around on screen or whether it will add something that we more see and ourselves as viewers that isn't dealt you know dealt with on screen that's what i'm wondering i i it's very much purposeful i i am leaning more towards it's something that will be dealt with on screen okay that's just well, how i think we'll just have to wait and see there's no like, yeah, trailers there's no, no we don't know there's anything. there's no way to like know that now um we don't even have a date i know god damn it netflix yeah, I think it will be interesting going forward, seeing how that plays out. Um, and yeah, we won't know until it we even get a trailer. Sure. We may not even be able to glean that from a trailer, though. But no. uh, well, we'll see. But like one thing we do know is that class is addressed much more than it is in these books, um, because yes. there have been some additional characters uh, cast. Yes. So, I, anyway, yes. there's not much more we can say about this. No. At this moment, but but no. it will be really interesting to see, and I think this book in particular really. It was very visual experience reading it where like there's the Pall Mall game. There's, you know, just like the banter back and forth between the two of them. Um, Kate like huddled under a desk in her fear of, of thunderstorms and Anthony coming to sit next to her, which is one of my favorite scenes in any romance novel. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, I agree. I think this is a much more active book than yeah. The Duke and I. Yeah. Um, so what do you think this book does really well? So, so I think what's really good about this book is Julia Quinn, once again, perfectly balances character, voice, tone, um, both emotion and hilarity. And, and I think best of all, she makes their falling in love very believable and she makes us cheer them on, even though it is, uh, enemies to lovers. And even though it is, um, there's some sort of hard, hard things said, you, we still both, we still like the characters and we still can see them together. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think she does the enemies to trope. Oh my gosh. The enemies to lovers trope well. Yeah. It makes both characters are likable. I don't dislike either character. I can imagine them at the end. It's not a trope that is that you can write easily. Um, I've I've read a lot of books where I'm like, ugh, really? But I uh, this one is one of the better ones. I shouldn't say the better. better. It's one of the best that I've read in regards to enemies to lovers. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, I think she does that trope well. 
Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were listening to the date night with Alyssa Cole, and she made some comment about how romance is a good way of modeling and processing emotional health and healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think that this book does do a good job of of talking about that. Like when Anthony is able to kind of get over his fear, it's because he's able to ad- admit to Kate what he's never been able to say out loud before. And she does understand him as much as she can. And they do talk it through. And she does have that support. So he's not trying to deal with his own issues on his own anymore. He's got a, you know, a kind of a hand to hold. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and again, we did just talk about like how well they communicated when there was those issues. So yeah, it, it does. It does yeah. help. But definitely going to plug Date Night with Alyssa Cole. Check out Loyalty Bookstores. They're fantastic. They're putting on this wonderful series called Date Night with Alyssa Cole, who is one of our favorite authors. And Alyssa Cole invites other romance authors to come and chat with her about romance novels. It is glorious. It is wonderful. I highly recommend that you check them out. Yeah. And if there's, you know, one little baby bonus to the old pandemic lockdown, it's that those of us who are not in DC still get to watch because it's all online right now. Yes, it is. It's all streaming. So you just go on and get a ticket for free and then show up and enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's a good one. Lydia, do you want to talk a bit about uh, your modern casting for this book? Yeah, I so imagine, like, Kate as a tomboy. Like, I don't like that terminology, but it's the only one I can come up with right now. But just, like, the glamour and, like, it's not, like, glamour's not a thing for her. Does that make sense? Yes. So she's, like, super into sports. She does not express her femininity in traditional ways. Yeah, she doesn't express her femininity. Yeah, what you just said. Thank you. And it that... At first is a slight turnoff to Anthony because he he sees somebody like her sister who is very feminine and is like, well, I mean, she's pretty, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I can foresee in like a modern version of this book, I can see Kate enjoying like drinking beer and, you know, doing stuff that maybe an upper class lady like it's frowned upon. Does that make sense? Sure. And I mean, honestly, Anthony is literally, I've known so many men who are like Anthony. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Um, I, I think Anthony's character just transfers into the modern world so well. Uh, I feel like my modern characterization this week is just not, like, super great. I've thought about it so much, and this is one that I've always had trouble, like, classifying like, characterizing in, like, the Mm. modern world. I think it fits really well with, like, Daphne and a couple of the other characters, but this one I've always struggled with. Again, I I imagine Kate to be more just modern, into sports. Maybe she's a sports player herself of some sort. And both she and Anthony are, like, a turnoff to each other. She thinks he's Mm -hmm. pompous, which, you know, he is. (laughs) Um, And he's kind of like, oh, like, yeah, she's not... What I usually go for. It, like, it, like kind of like opposites attract. Yeah. Versus enemies to lovers and opposites attract. That's all. Yeah. But, like, I can imagine Kate being... And she's a, she's a risk taker. Like, I can imagine Kate being like, want to go jump off a cliff? You want to go bungee jumping? I'm going to go bungee jumping. I can see Kate totally bungee jumping. Yeah. I, I don't know that I can. Oh, I, I can. I totally can see it. Like, she, like, she says kind of in the book, she kind of lives life to, like, in the moment. 
And so, like, well, I she does s- have a really lovely speech where she says, "Yeah, you know, life is precious. Take every moment. Yeah, and, uh, do do something." Like she she ends up taking up the flute at her advanced age of twenty one, and Anthony ends up joining her her and learning the trumpet, and they're both terrible, and they just keep going. Yeah, so like transferring that to like a modern setting. Okay, share. This is your bit, but I have to say, I just realized who I think that Kate is in the modern setting even though not at all have you seen um brothers bloom not brothers grim brothers bloom no adrian whatever his name is i have and not rachel seen. V- rachel vice from the mummy okay no you can it's keep amazing. you can keep saying this also, i've never seen this film <laughs> also rubius hagrid and like mark ruffalo whatever watch it it's so freaking good but rachel vice's character i have no idea if i'm saying her name right her character is this like crazy, like amazing, like she's this like 30 year old woman who lives all alone in this giant house and has like a hundred really, really random hobbies. Like she can make um, like watermelons into cameras and she can like juggle things that are on fire and she can like skateboard and she can rap and she can like play really random instruments. And it's all because like she had all these weird allergies as a kid and wasn't allowed to go outside. And then she decides to go on an adventure. I could see Kate not being like her like Rachel's character in any other way but like having like all like just this house full of like really random hobbies and card tricks and like taking shots off of things and I like that I'll yeah. have to check this film movie that was pointless so you're welcome I'll, <laughs> Please add watch it, that. I'll add it to my watch list it's one of my top 10 favorite movies <laughs> oh even better I will definitely check it out then so yeah like I just imagine Kate as this like live and let live character Mm-hmm. And Anthony is not so much that. Yeah, he's been responsible from a young age, and he's like looking at her and just seeing her as being irresponsible instead of instead of deliberately taking in the moment. Yes, exactly. So that is my kind of modern. Like I said, I str- I struggle with this one. I've always struggled with this one, but I have always seen Kate as a live and let live. Um, yeah, you know this could be since we're on the Shakespeare train. This could be she's the man. <laughs> like not really but just you know like just her playing soccer and stuff i yeah. mean definitely but, uh 10 things i hate about you like yeah. a modern like yeah yeah oh my gosh she plays soccer in that one too yes <laughs> like yes yeah, i can see her as a soccer player and everything like that and like honestly she does so work as cat stratford oh totally i mean you oh, wouldn't have to change 100%. very much i just mean sort of, like being a little bit more of a softie with her sister earlier on but like otherwise Kate Sheffield, Kate Sheffield, Kat Stratford. Yeah. I mean, it's all coming from the same place. Like, it's all, they're both, they're both alluding to the same thing, but really. If the... we, if we ever, ever get a chance to talk to JQ, I am asking that question if that is, like, deliberate. Probably not. If it was, like, a fanfic of 10 things. Probably not, but it would be really cool if it was. Um, yeah, so I'm going to stop babbling about modern stuff since... No, that was great. <laughs> but do you have recs for us this week, Tay? Yeah, I do. So if you like sibling series, because these these two were both the eldest siblings and they bonded over that, then here's some contemporary ones. Penny Reed's Winston Brothers series is kooky and fun, and I have been rereading some of my favorites lately because it's a good headspace to be in. Uh, Alicia Ray's Forbidden Heart series, Nora Roberts' Cordina series, which is kind of a different vibe. Um, and then historically... Lydia's Wreck, Lydia's favorite, Christine Fian's uh, Drake Sisters series, and then also Julianne Long's Penny Royal Green series is really fun. It's another, like, Regency, and the first book in the series starts with, like, 
this like shady woman like saving the main character from a hanging because she was paid to and it's great um and then of course i have to again lisa Kleypas, the hathaways series it's really good it's so like yeah if you like a bunch of great siblings these are ones and then um obviously obviously beverly jenkins has to be mentioned um i'm not i'm not like singling out any particular book because what i've kind of noticed is that all of her series are about siblings and i haven't read all of her stuff and i think it kind of depends on what you like but i really enjoyed the destiny series which is about the american west and i know lydia you have those books mm-hmm. i've not read them but i'm right, but you on have my them. list of, yes i have them yeah, so it's got like it's got a ran- the series has like a ranch owner, a secret baby, a sex worker, and pirates. So like really like she does adventure well. There's also Civil War and Reconstruction series with the Levesque family and more pirates. Um, and here's the thing is like, you know, this episode isn't going to air for a little bit, but things aren't going to change between now and then significantly. So uh, if you want to learn about African American history along with romance or vice versa, you really you can't go wrong with Miss Bev. You learn so much about American history and especially like African-American history. And she does so much to disrupt the like false and easy narrative of like, oh, well, slavery ended, then do 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 Jim Crow. And then now there's civil rights and then we're here. Um, there's a lot more to it than that. And even though her her characters face like really appalling structural racism, they're really awesome and strong and they persevere and, you know, there's they're not homogenous. And so, you know, they're beating the odds. They're living the American dream. So it's not hard to read about but it's like definitely history with like a dose of romance or, or vice versa so whether you like pirates or the underground railroad or the wild west or all three at once that's kind of a series to check out and then i have just a few more well that's a lie i have some more <laughs> so then if you like um, the enemies to lovers trope and you want to go historical sherry thomas's beguiling the beauty is a good one um and if you want your historical with some paranormal uh kristen callahan's darkest london series <laughs> which we may have mentioned before. And then if you want to go contemporary with your enemies to lovers, Sonali Dev's uh, Pride and Prejudice and Other Flavors, Uzma Jalaluddin's Aisha at Last. Both of these are Pride and Prejudice homages. Um, and then, of course, Casey McQuiston's Red, White, and Royal Blue. Aliyah reminded me of this. Uh, it's a like a graphic novel fantasy version of Enemies to Lovers. Noelle Stevenson's Nimona is really fun. Okay. Um, YA fantasy Lydia's and my like one of our our favorites is Holly Black's The Folk of the Air series. Yeah, definitely an enemies to lovers. <laughs> definitely like a little more hard hard on like hardcore than this book in terms of like the enemies part. <laughs> um, and and a lot more like YA fantasy than it is romance, but um, it's there. Uh, and then if you like books that are about the characters going for family, then Sherry Thomas's The Luckiest Lady in London is really funny. So cool. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to Calling Cards Podcast. Our next episode on an offer from a gentleman will air in a couple weeks. Yeah. Please rate and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Calling Cards Pod, on Twitter at Cards Calling, on our website, callingcards.wixsite.com slash callingcardspod, or by emailing us at callingcardspod at gmail.com. Original music by PastaCat. Find out more by following at PastaCatMusic on Instagram. Um, our next book is Offer from a Gentleman. I have a lot to say about this book already, and I'm like trying to hold hold in my joy. Yeah, so we'll cut ourselves off now. <laughs>